Hopi.co. This is the flagship pod, a weekly podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time kind of a grab bag as we understand where the market is headed into Q4. We're in week three of a pretty solid rally that's running out of steam a little bit. We're trying to understand where retail sales are going. We're trying to get a better sense of all the growth that we're seeing and we're seeing an absolute explosion in the sports betting market. So let's go ahead and bounce around the market and see, you know, where signs are pointing and if this rally can continue. To help me unpack that as always audience, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin man, what's good dude? How's uh how's the raise going? Yeah, in New York today, a lot of exciting progressions and announcements coming soon within the product. Um a lot we're working on from a research perspective, a lot going on in the market. End of year is always a crazy time between the holidays, um, and this is usually when a lot of people are really focusing on their investments, taxes, um, and we're starting to get a really good, clear outlook what 2024 could look like. Um, so having said that, excited to kind of dive into, into it today. Uh, going forward, we can also expect that we'll start to host some guests on here as well. Uh, people like CEOs, CFOs of big either private or public companies. So people listening now, we're, we're excited to kind of roll in that feature in the future. Um, but for now, you know, can can dive through all the market dynamics that we usually cover. Absolutely. And there's kind of a lot to cover as we're just trying to figure out precisely the nature of this big rally we're experiencing right now. It's run out of steam at the end of the week here. Again, we record this podcast on Fridays and usually you, the audience, are listening to this on Monday morning. So remember, we're kind of coming at you with a bit of a lag here. But the main news, of course, is that we've kind of killed inflation. The CPI came back much, much cooler than expected. There's still some, you know, transitory issues that could keep inflation up. Again, the big driver downward was gas prices, and those are pretty volatile. So those popping back up can put inflation back on the table. But the real, real news here is that shelter inflation got cut in half month over month. Shelter prices rose 0.3% year over, uh, month over month, whereas last month they rose 06 So we're finally seeing that cool off really bring inflation prices down. So shelter is doing a lot better, which means inflation itself is doing a lot better. Justin, what are your takes here, though? Because now I'm starting to get all of these really wild projections from various analysts, people saying, you know, the Fed's going to cut rates as soon as March. The Fed's going to cut something ridiculous, like 275 basis points across 2024. Um, When you look at the state of the air quotes soft landing, we're also hearing from retailers saying, hey, we don't know how spending is going to go in Q4. We're a little bit nervous, yada, yada yada um do you do you see this more as a higher for longer situation or do you see this as okay the fed can call declare mission accomplished it's over and we're about to just keep ripping for the next i don't know foreseeable future so it really depends on obviously how the inflation numbers come back but i think the biggest thing to watch out for is what jerome powell has been saying and so his current stance and the stance that has remaining to be is more or less excuse me, Uh, his current stance is basically that they will do everything in their power to combat inflation and need to see a prolonged period in which inflation is is trending in the right direction. Um, And then until then, they will keep higher for longer. It's kind of been the stance. He has not backed down from that stance over the last year. Um, And the expectations now going forward is that looks like inflation is really starting to crack. It's came back lower than anticipated as of recent. And so a lot of investors are hoping that if inflation is over, can we start lowering rates? 
Uh, it looks like the rate increases or have at least stopped to a certain capacity, um, but they are still higher. And so to your point, what a lot of investors are now parsing through is if inflation comes back lower than expected, are they going to decrease rates? And it looks like from our perspective, everything we've been seeing so far is that maybe they start decreasing, but I think expectations for how much they'll be decreasing are a little bit overblown. Um, we've seen nothing to really understand or, or quell over the fact that Jerome Powell will be decreasing rates substantially anytime soon. As long as the economy is strong and inflation is coming down, um, it's kind of in their best interest to keep rates higher for longer in order to, again, not overheat the economy and go right back to the that we initially had, which was a period of increasing prices. And we, we've all seen across the country now and across the world how troublesome inflation can be uh, when things just become so ridiculously expensive. So I think basically what we're getting at is that ultimately our view is going to be that unless there is a hard landing, the economy takes a massive hit, um, basically some sort of event that needs them to lower rates, I don't think on their own they're going to necessarily be lowering rates because they're going to be risking the chance that inflation then starts up all over again, which is their number one goal they want to avoid. Exactly. Like the most important thing to keep in mind is that we've seen situations where the Fed has brought rates down too quickly and inflation has come roaring right back. And that has been a much, much bigger break on the economy than just like normally raising rates and slowing things down. So you're going to see a lot of caution from Jerome Powell. Again, dude's still going to be catching heat for the rest of his life for basically being two to three, maybe even some would say six months late to raising rates and starting this whole thing off. So as you watch this happen, as you watch bond yields collapse down below, uh, the 10 years down below 4.5% finally and just falling like a rock, as you see the CPI keep coming down, one thing I want you to keep in mind too is that for the past like month, basically every single Fed president has made a statement along the lines of we have two more CPIs for the year. I think people kind of anticipated that uh, October was going to come in a bit cooler, but people maybe think that December might be a little bit hotter. So if the CPI keeps trending in this direction, we're going to have a lot more pressure for cutting rates. I think we're going to see things flatten out in December, and I think everything after that's going to depend upon retail sales and consumer spending in Q4, because the main reason you saw any sort of sell-offs in the last week were basically guidance comments on Q4. Apple thought they would have softer guidance for Q4. Meta decided to tell everyone that ads spending was going to go down a little bit in their earnings presentation a couple of weeks back. In the same moment this week, Walmart fell off a cliff, not even because of any bad numbers, but because their CEO mentioned, hey, we're kind of seeing people be very, very focused on promotions. The number of sales for any items would go down the day before and the day after a promotion cited, basically suggesting that investors, consumers, everyone is super price sensitive now, which could signal a much bigger cool down in consumer spending than we anticipate. So keep that in mind, audience. That's what we're watching out for. We can't really make any big predictions the way other analysts are because we need a lot more information. And I think a big thing, the big sort of test is going to be the back end of earnings season come Q1. We're talking February. We're going to have the answer once we see actual sales from the likes of Target and Walmart. If they 
bottom out and they seem a lot stronger than possible, that's kind of like our signal that some, we're here for the soft landing. We made it. The economy's not broken. Hooray. And we'll probably start hearing a lot of pressure to lower rates by then. But that's going to be the main test, right? So definitely not out of the woods yet. We're in the bottoming process, so to speak. So what we're trying to do instead of just focusing on the macro is find these pockets of winners and losers within the economy itself. And Justin, one thing that's been kind of insane for us this week is the sports betting industry. We have been very, very excited because of all the numbers coming out of sports betting right now. Uh, one of our main picks, DraftKings, had their investor day this week, and their projections for revenue and growth are absolutely astounding. The total addressable market for basically all of sports betting and eye gambling is going to potentially grow 54% from 2022 into 2023, basically in states that are already legal. So what we're seeing is a much deeper interest in jumping on the sporting game. So Justin, when we're looking at this, our, our stock DraftKings just hit our price target two months after we set it. So we're kind of scrambling to you know, get a new one out there to sort of understand the new sports betting market. But at the same time, ESPN Bet, another big rival in the sports betting place, just launched this week as well. Do you see Disney having a lot more sort of legs here, or is this kind of DraftKings game to lose based on what you've seen so far? Well, if you watch uh, the recent episode of South Park, <laughs> you'll definitely see that uh, that ultimately they believe ESPN and Disney stand no chance. But uh, on a more serious note, um, we, we see DraftKings continuing to be leaders in the space. Disney, it's super early with ESPN bet. But the the numbers haven't been insanely impressive. And when we look at DraftKings specifically, even with ESPN there, we're seeing a really strong growth story for DraftKings playing out. And so there's kind of a, a few things we're looking at, and it's going to be growth ultimately in their iGaming category and then growth in like the actual sports betting book itself. Um, and so what we're seeing so far is a few things. And so... The older, quote-unquote, vintages, which are going to be states that legalized this fairly long ago relative to states that are now legalizing it and are, are catching up, um, ultimately, the newer states are, are seeing better unit economics. And so what I mean by that is the customer acquisition costs are lower, the lifetime value are higher. And so a lot of the money that DraftKings had to do on brand awareness you know, a few years ago in some states is starting to really see benefits across other state lines, which is really, really encouraging and very, very great for what we're we're seeing more or less. And then even in the the quote unquote mature states, so states that have had sports gambling now legal for some time, um, ultimately one thing that we're really happy to see is that they're still seeing strong growth as they spend less on marketing. And then more importantly, those customers are betting more and more money um, which is, again, those are like the metrics in this type of world that we want to see. Those are the most important things. And so the sports betting side of the business is has been really, really strong. Um, and then past that, looking at the iGaming side of the business, that's also increasing pretty substantially as, as well. Um, so looking at the numbers, like specifically where, and we'll, we'll talk about this more in the updated research report that like we'll hopefully put out uh, next week, if not the week after. Um, but ultimately, dr like DraftKings now is going to be able to increase gross margins, and they're going to have a lot more free cash flow. Um, and so I think the big question that a lot of people now or what we're asking ourselves is, okay, they're generating this free cash flow, but now like what can they do with it? 
um, they're they're making the transition to being positive, have a positive EBITDA, which is super important. Um, but ultimately, we see a lot of this free cash flow. Um, it could be for stock buybacks. It could be acquisitions. I think there's a lot of areas that as they build up this cash, they can strategically invest. It's a little unclear of what that will be so far. But more importantly, as long as they make the right investments, they're right now generating the cash in order to do so. So that's super, super important and really exciting for us to watch going forward. And so even if ESPN bet grows, you know, we're not seeing in any indication that they're going to ultimately be taking market share away from DraftKings substantially because they're just so far behind in terms of the progress they've made. Um, so long story short, super bullish on DraftKings continues to be a, uh, one of the top plays for us. And to give you kind of like a preview of what we're thinking about in terms of that audience, just so you're aware, the main game right now is that there's so much volume, even in states where gambling has been legal for a long time, that DraftKings is having a much easier time acquiring customers. Their customer acquisition costs fell 21% last year. It's looking like it's going to fall another 20% this year, which means their buyback period, sort of like the amount of time it takes for a customer to become profitable, has gone from a little bit under three years to just over two years. So it's getting cut by almost a third. They're looking at a 14% cost adjusted growth rate in their revenue and EBITDA across the next five-ish years, which puts them in profitability range, like easy profitability range by 2024. And that's just going to skyrocket afterwards in terms of once you get profitable, it's easier to turn more and more profits as you keep driving down these costs and optimizing these algorithms. So that's on the back of really strong product and also just really good marketing, sort of like pushing customers towards gambling options that advantage DraftKings over sort of other ones. We, we've jumped on that before, and you can expect more of that in the app. As always, audience, if you're listening to this, make sure you check us out over at app.mobi.co. We always have a much more long-term perspective there in these podcasts and in our Instagram and on our newsletter. You're going to get sort of like the day-to-day -day stuff, but our long-tail view is going to be there in the app, and that's going to help you keep ahead of the market. So check us out there, app.mobi.co. Get a free trial. Hang out with us there. But moving on, Justin, let's keep looking into the outlook we have here and the other major development from my perspective this week is just sort of like doing a pulse check on the ev space we have seen a lot of pain uh, lucid is just getting clobbered as they just can't get their costs under control tesla again refuses to uh in reduce their r d expenses and just keeps getting hit after hit after hit after hit but we see one bright spot and that's one of our big stock picks for the week and that's rivian um, they have finally gotten costs under control in a way that it's really exciting to see their growth outlook now. They consistently keep raising their production guidance, so they're sort of proving the model that EVs get more efficient and therefore more scalable over time. Love to see it. And in the same breath, they just got out of the exclusivity clause of their Amazon agreement, so now they can make those electric delivery vans for everyone, and they already have a robust sales cycle already established, so there's Plenty of clients already deep in the funnel. So instead of selling 100,000 delivery vans, we're you know, looking at half a million, maybe even a million down the road. Things are all moving in the right direction. But of course, there's a lot of structural concerns. The EV market is getting kind of like broadly undervalued right now, basically on the back of Tesla and Ford and GM kind of not leaving the competitive space, but, you know, pumping the brakes as they figure out everything with the UAW. So, Justin, when you look at all of that, when you look at the stock pick we made as well. Like what are your thoughts on Rivian as a brand and how do you how do we come to those conclusions in terms of Rivian not necessarily replacing Tesla as our top pick, but being the pick we're going to focus on in twenty twenty four as Tesla 
we push them to the sidelines and let them figure out their aggressive R&D position. And Rivian kind of takes control as the, the good vibes in the EV space. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Rivian is definitely, you know, coming up and, and delivering a strong year so far. Um, there's just so much negative sentiment in the EV market in general right now, because to your point, the UAW held back some other auto manufacturers like Toyota and Ford. Um, and meanwhile, um, past that, like to even today, for example, uh, ChargePoint, which is a huge EV charging company, um, there was a lot of like some turnover there in the senior management position, CEO and CFO left. And so every day just seems like there's just issues in the automotive space. Um, and ultimately, Tesla, to your point, has been super, super aggressive in ramping up R&D. Um, so not cutting costs at all while decreasing, you know, their margins because they're ultimately dropping prices somewhat substantially, which is their end goal is to have affordable EVs for the population in order to like really hit mass market. But again, in the short to medium term is definitely not something investors want to see. Um, so still super bullish on Tesla, 100%. They continue to be the leader in the space and their gap between others continues to increase. But Rivian specifically, um, they had a brilliant Q3 earnings report. Um, looking at the numbers more closely, they're really ramping up and are expected to drive more deliveries of their R2 uh, vehicle, which is being produced in Georgia. Uh, and so ultimately 2024, really looking at them is kind of like a make it or break it year where they really have to ramp up production. But in terms of the actual like reviews from the product, everyone has absolutely loved their cars. They've got glowing reviews um, and the this, this stock has then responded favorably. But think Again, for us going forward, we just want to make sure that they're able to produce. They have really interesting agreements in place with Amazon and like they have a commercial agreement which can help scalability. Um, but like everything in the EV space, production is going to be huge. Um, you know, whether or not the demand is there is a different story. So things we'll be looking for, we just increased our price target. There's a lot more information that you can go through uh, on the site or through the app, but, but past that, Rivian and, and Tesla continue to be our top plays in the EV market. And that's going to be it for a while, too, because we're going to be basically waiting for strategic realignment coming out of Ford and GM now that there's a lot of things to consider in terms of exactly what their future is in the EV space. GM was pretty smart here in sort of like taking the slow approach to EVs. Ford had a much more aggressive model. They've already broken ground on a bunch of lithium mines and lithium processing facilities worldwide and now we're seeing sort of battery plants being pulled back and sort of tempered expectations especially with the ford f-150 lightning being going ahead to head against the cybertruck which may slowly ramp up across this year so the main thing with rivian is of course keeping an eye on their margins as well as their continued beats on production the real tripping point this year is going to be first of all a day in q4 where rivian shuts down their factories for some upgrades and then an extended period of shutdowns that are going to occur during q4 uh, q2 of next year folks so that's the main thing we're watching if rivian can keep raising production targets despite those shutdowns um, that's going to be absolutely gigantic obviously tesla can turn this right around as long as all of their investments start paying off the market just hates being aggressive right now when tesla is just spending on R&D like it's 2019, which they can afford to do, so more power to them, but investors are going to absolutely hate it until it starts actually paying off. So it's a great time in the EV space. It's honestly a great time to be investing. It's just an important time to also be a little bit cautious. And so, Justin, let's keep that outlook moving forward with one last quick section. We're almost here at time. Another big thing that kind of 
almost instantly got swept under the rug here, Justin, was trying to figure out the future of U.S. and China relations. We're trying to understand where the global economy is going. We're trying to understand what the geopolitical situation is with, you know, everything that's going on. And this week, President Xi and President Joe Biden hung out together in San Francisco, met, basically had a bunch of platitudes, but no real breakthroughs in terms of better trade policy, like China just basically said, hey, we promise not to invade Taiwan. The U.S. said, hey, we promise, you know, not to be imperialist or whatever. So the main thing that's come out of that is something that didn't happen, which is any relief on ship restrictions. Uh, One thing that's kind of holding back sort of like full on AI mania is all these ship restrictions the U.S. is placing on NVIDIA and advanced chip manufacturers to not sell their actual hardware to Chinese companies, right? So the big news that came out of that was yesterday with Alibaba saying, hey, we're abandoning our spinoff here. We can't really compete in the cloud business because we can't get access to the same chips that um, AWS and Azure can. The crazy thing is, is that AWS and Azure can buy NVIDIA's most advanced chips and then sell AI training services to Chinese companies. That's fine, but not chips, right? So when you look at this, I mean, I don't even know what to do in terms of investing in China anymore. It kind of feels like we're in this insane wrestling match where the U.S. has this massive infrastructure advantage on AI that it's almost pointless investing in Chinese tech. When you look at that, Justin, are you kind of like at the same level of bearishness or am I overreacting here since I'm kind of like very pro Alibaba and my soul hurts watching their st- watching them lose $20 billion in market cap in a single day? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good question because... China for the last, you know, 10, 20 years has been everyone's thought like they're the next U.S., they're the next superpower. Um, And so Tesla and a lot of companies have like tried to spur their operations there in order to kind of capitalize on this next major superpower and the huge population that they have there. But I think the the truth of the matter is that it's looking a lot different than a lot of people, I think, originally thought it may be. And so... It's obviously a dictatorship or, or communism um, in China, but it really looks to be getting out of hand with a lot of the decisions that have been made over the last several years, and it's it's ultimately driving in the wrong direction. And then furthermore, something that we've talked about from a long macro perspective is that China has a decreasing population, uh, which is a huge, huge, huge problem. Um, and unless you're able to ultimately backfill a lot of the issues or a lot of the stat, uh, working, you know, working class with other people, it's hard to really sustain the same level of output. And so what I mean by that is you think about food production, you think about semi-production, you think about anything that China produces. Well, there's people doing those jobs. And once those people retire, typically with an increasing population for an increasing demand, there's the next generation of people that ultimately take over and do those jobs. Jobs change, they you know, shift all the time, but ultimately there's a growing workforce that can satisfy more demand. But if the population's decreasing, there's going to be a lot of job vacancies and the economy could be ultimately shrinking um, over the coming decade to be. And so that's what I think a lot of realization is from a global macroeconomic point. And then again, on the you know dictator communist side, it's like no one actually just trusts the numbers that are coming out of China at all. And so ultimately, again, that's why we're seeing, we've seen a a pretty big sharp pullback um, in a lot of Chinese names. As it relates specifically to Alibaba, you know, they've spent really the last two years being extremely undervalued um, because of the the tension specifically between US and China. Um, But I mean, basically, 
the American firms um, that are competing with Alibaba and, and names over here um, have a massive leg up on Alibaba, and they're they've really felt the pain because they don't have access to a lot of AI and semiconductor chips that run those AI systems because a lot of the system or bands that we put in place uh, on NVIDIA and others in terms of selling to Chinese companies. Um, so ultimately, it, it's really the Alibaba, the value relative to the to their revenue, to their uh, profits and everything like that, they are undervalued, but you're ultimately investing as more of a value play than a long-term growth play, just given like the issues from a, a geopolitical standpoint with the US and China, and then ultimately any global macro issues internally within China as it relates to their population. No, I hear that. And it's one of those things where you just kind of have to understand that you're going to see probably this kind of chronic undervaluing of these names. So if you find weakness, it might be temporary, but it's one of those things where certain other firms are starting to show that there is strength coming back. JD is doing pretty well as they've gotten their sales back up. Alibaba technically did beat on revenue in the earnings earnings presentation right before this. It's just they have other sort of like systemic valuations the market's more concerned about. So we'll see how this all plays out, but it's one of those things where it's hard to get very aggressive with any positions within sort of like the Chinese sphere of influence as all these economic economic pressures play out. And furthermore, as we keep looking at exactly where the Chinese economy is going to be moving from here on out. So, you know, a little bit disappointing, you know, that this didn't lead to sort of much more warmer relations that can bring a lot more value to the Chinese market. But, you know, you work with what we work with as long. It's just nice that we're not, you know, talking about sending troops to Taiwan to defend from, you know, a Chinese invasion force. So I'll take what we can get in, you know, a very, very difficult 2023 right either way justin that's kind of bringing us to time is there anything else you wanted to cover do you think we've kind of done a good job there in terms of like trying to understand sort of the broad strokes of where the market is going now that we're three weeks deep into this rally yeah i mean i think like you know you can go zoom out and go macro or zoom in and try and look at specific companies and go bottom up i think from the macro perspective like we touched upon it in terms of interest rates inflation what it means for 2024 I think the only thing, or predictions for 2024, I think the only other thing to dive in specifically for 2024 is going to be similar to 2023 and like what actually ultimately happens um, based on our interest rate expectations and inflation expectations. And I think ultimately the Fed is going to dictate policy. You don't fight the Fed. It's an old mantra and it, it really is true. And so a lot of people are thinking that they'll decrease rates. And if they decrease rates, a lot of this price like in, or price appreciation we've seen in stocks is is already being priced in and so if they ultimately really do decrease rates there might not be a massive rally unless they indicate that rates are going to be decreasing to you know 100 200 300 basis points over next year and then we'll probably see another leg up but right now as it stands a lot of it's been priced in over the last week or two with expectations that it'll decrease so if you're looking at the the market right now and you're seeing you're thinking there's gonna be a ton of room for upside um because rates are going to decrease a lot of these names are going to rebound we're going to have a landing all these positive like outlook which is definitely very possible um i think the the biggest thing is to think about is that a lot of this has already been priced in um as long as companies kind of hit the expectations they they're at you know 2024 could be a little bit of a muted year given We'll see how 2023 shakes out, but indices were, are realistically up a ton. Um, having said all of that, ultimately, if Jerome Powell comes out and decides that you know inflation isn't where they want, they're going to leave rates higher for longer. They're going to remain that sentiment. Like it's going to be a tough, tough part of Q1. So 
ultimately, I think we're, what we think is going to shake out is that it'll be slow but modest growth into 2024. We'll hopefully avoid a hard landing either this quarter or next. And then depending on how the economy responds and inflation responds, the Fed will respond accordingly. Um, and then we'll see a, a move higher. But everything we've seen so far is that the economy has remained, remained resilient. So we're expecting from an economic perspective, good probably growth going into the back half of next year. And then, you know, probably like relative growth in the S&P and the major indices, but not as much as we've seen this year, you know, with some of them up 20, 30, 40%. And that's a really great way of looking at it, too, because at the same time, we have to make sure that we're not sort of getting over-aggressive in this wild price action, right? Like, the S&P is still technically in correction territory. It's literally like a millimeter away. Like, you could blow on the S&P 500 and push it out of correction territory, but the market just isn't ready to do that this week. So it's still maintaining kind of that cautious outlook as the Fed is trying to keep things slow here. But it's one of those things where we're just excited that there's actual bull sentiment. It was a really rough Q3, like September, August, September, and October, those sell-offs really weighed on investor sentiment and kind of made it seem like, you know, the slide was inevitable, but now we're not quite at the Santa rally yet, but we are at a point where we're getting that confidence back. So long as consumer spending survives Q4, we're in a really great spot to push toward the Fed eventually finally cutting rates or at least announcing a plan for rate cuts in 2024. So don't fight the Fed, stay focused on your goals, make sure you're never put in a position of being a forced seller and we're all going to get through this together. So either way, Justin, really great interview, really great conversation. Audience, really appreciate your time. As always, if you want to get more of our long-term perspective here, make sure you check us out over at app.mobi.co. Pretty sure that's a good place to end it though, folks. So just so you know, audience, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by Moby.co. You can find our long-term perspective all over the internet. Check us out on Instagram where we're growing really rapidly. Make sure you're signed up for our daily newsletter, which comes out every weekday. We're probably going to bring it to you on weekends pretty soon as we get more robust in our production schedule. Otherwise, audience, thank you so much for listening. Check us out soon. As always, folks, really appreciate your time. And as always, we like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.